Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Are you a dragon boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon fiber dragon boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the dragon boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Mary Gibson, the current president of the International Breast Cancer Peddlers Commission, joined us on the podcast today. Mary is a 30-year survivor of three different cancers. She was first diagnosed with cervical cancer, followed by ovarian cancer, and then finally breast cancer. She shared her cancer adventure, but recalls that breast cancer was the hardest. In 2006, Mary started dragon boating and became instrumental in the dragon boating community in New Zealand. In 2014, she became vice president of the IBCPC, and then in 2018 was elected president. Take a listen in as Mary shares her amazing story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Mary Gibson. She is from New Zealand, so I'm super excited to have you here. I know it's early morning where you are um, and mid-afternoon where I am. Um, so welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you. That's awesome. It's a real pleasure to be talking to you. Absolutely. And so I want to just kind of give a little uh, backstory on you before we actually dive into um, the specific specifics of your story. You are a actually more than a 20-year survivor because you were diagnosed with uh, cervical cancer first in 1989, followed by ovarian cancer in 1995. And then in 1999, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. So that's a lot. It certainly is. And um, I, I guess when you're young and in, young in my book anyway, young and in your 30s, it's very daunting. And um, I, I think, you know, you haven't had children yet, so you don't know where your life is going to take you. And um, I guess I was quite pragmatic, particularly around the ovarian and the cervical cancer. Um, but it was the breast cancer that hit me the hardest and, and probably most likely because at the time I had a young son. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you were 34 when you had the cervical cancer diagnosis mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, 10 years later, here you are facing breast cancer. So 
let's talk a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't even know where it is that you want to start if you want to even address the cervical and the ovarian cancer. Obviously, the podcast is designed um, around breast cancer, but you know, that's part of your story. So I don't know if you want to share a little bit about those two and kind of what you went through with that and then go into the breast cancer story. So I'll let you kind of take it wherever you want. (laughs) Thanks, Melissa. Um, Well, yeah, it was quite um, a shock when I was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And I think probably because I had a long history of severe endometriosis. So it's sort of followed a pattern in a way. And um, I I thought that it was the same thing. Anyway, I I was very quickly in the system here in New Zealand. And um, at the time, there was a gynecologist by the name of Harry Bashford, and everyone knew him as Hurricane Harry. And the reason for that was because he did everything so quickly and fast. And I guess that my treatment was quick and fast. And so my natural MO at the time, I was, you know, in a career, uh, working hard, you know, I just got on with it. I didn't think about it. I just quickly got on with it. And within a very short period of time, I met my then husband and um, we were married within three months and I was um, pregnant three months after that. So it was such a quick progression. And then um, my son was born in 1991, April of 1991. So I, I kind of had no time to even think about it or for it to even be an issue, really, if I'm brutally honest. I mean, it really kind of came in like a hurricane. Sounds like everything kind of <laughs> happened for you. Kind of like a hurricane. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and I still remember with great affection old Hurricane Harry, but um <laughs> yeah, it's it, it absolutely did. And and I and I guess that because everything's so fast, you don't dwell on things and that's not my nature or personality either. So it didn't seem like an issue and I when I look back I think, Oh my gosh, I was really blase about that. But in a lot of ways I think that helped my recovery really quickly. And then as I said, you know, to have have my son um, was amazing because I'd been told I would probably never have children and if I if I did want to I would need a lot of intervention and help so he's quite the miracle yeah and he was born in 1991 so that was four years prior to then having an ovarian cancer diagnosis yeah yeah so Unfortunately, that um, you know that severe endometriosis continued, and um, I had a lot of pain, a lot of um, you know pain every time it was my menstrual cycle, and um, you know so I kept visiting the doctor, and finally they found the tumor on my ovary, so they um, elected to remove one ovary. I thought, oh, that's good, maybe I'll have more children, um, if being ever the optimist. Um, but unfortunately, I then also had a tumour on the other ovary, and that was then also removed. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those, th- so I had endometriosis as well. I'm not really quite sure if the endometriosis was there, and then I had my diagnosis, or because of the medication I was taking, I developed endometriosis. Mm. But it's brutal. I mean, it is genuinely brutal um, to have that disease, and I could see how it would it could easily be confused right because mm, I, mm. you know if you have that history of endometriosis any pain or sensation mm. that you're feeling that would be related to that area 
I would assume that many people would just say, oh, you know, it's just endometriosis, Mm -hmm. not just, but yeah, so... (laughs) I, um... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is that, um, you know, with all due respect to the medical profession, um, a lot of the time when when we as women have a lot of pain associated with periods, a lot of pain between periods, that. <laughs> I'm not sure if they think that we're, you know, um, uh, basically being wimps or whatever it is, but I'm I'm an incredibly strong person physically and emotionally. And for me to be crippled with pain, it's actually pretty serious. And as you yourself will know, and it's a very debilitating disease. And interestingly, my... Um, a gynecologist said to me, the best thing for you to do is to have a child. And, uh, well, that happened. And, um, you know, but it's, it didn't fix the issue. And, of course, obviously, there was a much deeper issue. So, you know, once you um, have have those ovaries gone, you're, you're pushed into immediate um, menopause, which is right. another exciting oh, phase. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can when relate. You're, when you're young, you know, when you're young, it's um, like, oh my goodness. So, yeah. But um, yeah. So, so in between all of that, so the first ovary was moved in nine, removed in 95, and then the diagnosis of breast cancer. And I do, I mean, even though they are not linked. I think there is probably some correlation somewhere along the line that the nasty little cells decide, oh, let's have a bit of a party here and we'll attack everything. You <laughs> let's know. go north. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll have a go, you know, why not? We're on a, we're on a mission now, you know, we're on a field march. So, um, so did, you know, they, it, did they test? Um, I mean, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, was it estrogen, um, you know, did they say anything about the uh, ovarian cancer or even the cervical cancer? And I'll be very honest, I don't know a whole lot uh, about cervical cancer, but, you know, did they say that it was estrogen related? And so, you know, thinking that, well, once it's removed, you know, everything's Mm going to be okay. Look, no, they didn't. And and your your comment about once it's removed, everything will be okay is a really interesting one because it relates to so many things. And I've had a lot of conversations with surgeons about exactly this. And I said to them, your MO, your modus operandi is to remove it and with them we're okay. And um, that is a lot of what happens, you know, so you yes. don't get a lot of comment around, oh, it's this or it's that, or it could be this or that, or have you checked the other or your family history? It's it's removed. You're fine. We got all the margins. You're okay. You know? Right. So I, I, I think that that was very much how it happened at that time. Um, and my to be honest, my gynecologist was m- the most beautiful, caring man. You know, he he was wonderful and did everything he could for me. And, and you know, I, I have absolutely no hesitation in saying that whatsoever. Um, it wasn't Hurricane Harry, by the way. It was a lovely <laughs> man <laughs> who had moved on from him, um, you know, because because my pregnancy was considered an elderly prima gravida. Isn't that such an awesome term oh when you're gosh. over 30, 35? <laughs> Um, that you know that that he I then went into gynecological care immediately. Um, so you know, look, I I can't fault him for one second, and it's just how things are. And I I see that so often. I see it still today. Not yes. a lot has changed. Not a lot has changed. No. So and we're yeah. you know at this point we're coming up on twenty four years out away from 
your experience with ovarian cancer and things yeah, have not yeah. progressed. No, no. And and I don't want to sit and criticize the medical profession at all. They only know what they know. That's and it. they don't know they don't know what they don't know. And I find, and and um, because I'm on this journey with a whole bunch of breast cancer survivors, I find I can predict a lot more uh, <laughs> simply by listening and talking and looking and seeing. And, you know, you learn the patterns, you learn what's happening. Uh, and I don't, you know, profess to be medical for one second, but we're, I think we're really aware and um, really, really in tune with, a, our bodies, but also what's happening to other people. So for me, you know, it was never a matter of woe is me or sympathy or anything like that. It was just get on with life, get on with it. You've got too much living to do. You've got this beautiful young boy now. You need to, you know, move on. And so when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and, and I have to tell you, it was such a weird way that it came about. I'd, you know, a pretty healthy person and I'd been unwell as in a cold and then it got worse and worse and worse and it was almost at the stage of pneumonia and I just couldn't seem to shake it hmm. and I went along to my GP and I said, I just can't shake this, I, I just, she said, that's not like you at all. And um, she said, is there anything else? I said, oh, I don't know. It's just a little bit sore under my arm. I said, I don't know what that's got to do with why I can't get well. She said, you are going straight to have a mammogram. And I never for one minute thought, I thought she's crazy. What's the correlation here? There's none. Well, I can tell you, and I still say it to this day, that she probably saved my life because um, when you know when I went along to have that mammogram and then to be told, hey, we need to see you again, we need to do a biopsy, and you have a 50 millimetre, so that's you know the size of a golf ball, two and a half inches, um, tumour inside inside your breast way back against the chest wall I was like you are kidding me how could this happen you know right. so how could this happen from having you know a cold and a flu and not recovering wow unbelievable so you know bit of a shock I have to say bit of a shock so and, were you um, getting mammograms before then because you were um, at the time of that diagnosis in 1999 with the breast cancer, yeah. you were 44. So, you yeah. know, I don't know what the standards are in New Zealand. Um, mm. You know, in the United States, we kind of go back and forth between 40 and 50. We're not really quite sure, can't make a decision. Um, yeah. You know, so were you having mammograms at all? Um. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> Try to remember it so long ago now. Well, I was 43 coming up to 44. And um, yeah, uh, but they, it was really, so they're free here if you're over 50. And then they keep altering the the age bracket exactly as you say and um, I think it's it's been getting younger and younger and younger all the time so yeah. Um, yeah so it was a free mammogram so I had had one previously but um, it was really only and I think because it was so deep inside the chest wall that it was only um, having the biopsy that that absolutely confirmed what it was okay. because I had what you know, what we refer to as lumpy breasts and um, what a lovely term. But, you know, um, so so I'd, I'd had that most of my adult life. Uh, so it was like, mm, you know, lumpy breasts and uh, what's the difference? And, um, yeah, so, yeah, a bit of a shock. 
for the yeah. show. Well, and, you know, kind of a an interesting point there, too, in terms of, you know, thank goodness for that doctor, because, mm. you know, had it not been for you not being able to recover well from, you know, what seemed to be a simple cold that kind of progressed and you had gone in, you know, there might not have been the urgency and getting you seen because if you had found this at some point in time, had an exam, it might have been equated mm. to, oh, well, you have a history of lumpy breasts, you yeah. know, which kind of does happen as well. So I'm glad that your doctor, you know, at least recognized that, mm, you know, this isn't typical for you mm. to not be able mm. to shake that off um, and mm. then get you mm. in. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, and I still talk to her about that. And she's like, oh, really? You know, <laughs> she's the most wonderful person. And I keep dreading the day that she retires because we're probably of a similar age. Um, but I do note that she only works two or three days a week now. So, uh, you know, you, and you really you really want to hang on to someone like that. Oh, yes. And, but, but, you know, um, ev- again, everything happened really fast. And it was, um, you know, seen by a specialist. And uh, you need to come in next week and have a rad- full and radical mastectomy. And I'm like, hold the bus oh, wow. a second here. Hold the bus a second. This doesn't work for me. It's Christmas. Um, you know, I'm going on holiday. I need to think about this. What are my options? Uh, you know, all of that conversation that you run through in your head. And, um, you know, you know, and they, I said, what is my window here? What's my window? And they said, if you're not here within three months, you're in serious trouble. And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. And so... I said, all right, I, I, I'll do that. And um, I booked the date for surgery, and it was the 14th of February. Oh, uh, no. no. <laughs> Um, and and the reason that I did that, and you'll chuckle about this, the 14th of February 2000, and I thought I'll always remember this because it's over my heart. You know, it was my Aww. left breast. And it's over my heart. And I thought, I'll always remember the date. I like to have significant dates, you know. Yeah. And um, and my surgeon went, you are crazy. And I said, <laughs> nope, really important. You have to, you know, you have to play this game with me. Well, I can tell you that, um, you know, we went on vacation and some friends of ours, the, the male friend was a, uh, a vet, and he absolutely tore strips off me. And he said, you can't do this. You need to be in hospital. You can't wait. You know, this is silly luck. And on and on. I said, look, you're a vet, not not a doctor. You're a vet, <laughs> you know. And he said, Mary, you are crazy. And I said, leave it to me. I know what I'm doing, you know. And for me, it was really important to have that time yes. to, to process everything because, I, you know, I, I see it so regularly how many much you just drop into shock you know and you're like oh they're telling me this I have to do this you know you become like an automaton almost you become like you Hurricane just, Harry yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you you just you almost roll with the punches yes. but you're feeling like a punching bag because you're just being you know got at from every corner and uh, you know and Look, I, I have a, had a conversation not that long ago with my son. He's 28 now. And he, he said, and it was probably about two years ago, and he said to me, you know, mum, I was really angry with you and dad when I was when you were um, diagnosed with cancer. And I said, why? Why yeah. were you angry? 
And he said, because you didn't tell me anything. And I said, oh, come on, surely we did. I said, you've just, this is, you know, you've built this into your mind that we didn't. I said, we, yes, we did. And he said, no, you didn't. I said, yes, we, we sat you down. He said, all you said was, all dad said was, mum's got cancer. And I said, no. <laughs> Do you know? And maybe that's what he heard. That's what he heard. And so he desperately needed to see his mum well. And so so I said to him in jest, well, is there anything you need to know now? You know, (laughs) as an adult, he said, mum, the internet helped me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, that's just, oh, it it made me feel really guilty um, all those years later. And um, and I said, well, look, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, he said, no, no, it's all right. It's fine. I fully understand. I said, are you sure? Do we need to sit down and have a conversation? You know, and he's like, no, no, mum, it's all good now. So Thank goodness was, um, for that internet. But yeah, <laughs> there's still some pretty scary stuff that's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does make you realize that, not only are you in shock, but your family's in shock. The people are around you are in shock and they're processing it all in their own way. Yes. And I, I remember sitting, you know, not sitting, lying in the hospital bed, being, you know, up to my eyeballs with morphine, you know, totally la-la out of it. And hearing my visitors around me, there must have been 10 of them in the room, which, you know, sitting on the bed, sitting in the chairs, laughing and talking. And I'm lying in the bed. And this is what went through my mind. What about me? What about me? Why not listen to me? What about me? And I'm completely, you know, I'm, I'm in, a, in a morphine haze. Yet that's what was going through my head. And I can still vividly remember that. So it's such a it's such a mind trip, isn't it? This whole, yeah. this whole, I don't know if it's a journey or what you want to call it. I call it an adventure, actually, because you never know what's going to come up next. I call it a shit show. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You never know what's coming next. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. You don't. But yeah. So did you, did you end up um, opting for the radical mastectomy or what did you decide? I mean, you gave yourself a little bit of time, which I, yeah. I love because not everybody, mm. you know, does that or is afforded that opportunity. Mm. So you did the radical mastectomy. Yeah. I said, look, if I have the radical mastectomy, I'm not having any chemo. <laughs> so about, it was all about bargaining for me. I, you know, yeah. I negotiate a lot in business. So this was another, <laughs> this was another negotiation, you know, like, I'm not having chemo if I have that, you know. So that's exactly what I did. So I had a radical mastectomy, the whole thing, and full reconstruction all at the same time. Okay. I thought, get it over and done with, you know, and and move on. So, um, yeah, that's exactly what I did. And, you know, it was for me it was the best thing because while you still carry a ton of doubt, it actually shifted my mind quite quickly. And I found myself in a in a in a positive space. Plus I was, you know, working, had family, all of those things. So I, I moved really quickly. Um, and, you know, other than people saying all the time, how are you? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm great. You know, yeah. because really you, you feel okay afterwards, you know, and um, you, you just go through the recovery phase. It, it's a good six to eight weeks. And then, then, you know, you're good, you're back to it. So that was me really. Um, okay you know, moving on. And so in that 
time frame, somewhere around there, you got involved with dragon boating. Well, here's the interesting thing. The very, very last thing I wanted to do was to associate with anyone with cancer of any kind, let alone, <laughs> bre- let alone breast cancer. And I, I remember some people from the Cancer Society coming to see me and I more or less said, what are you doing here? Why are you on my doorstep? You know, go away. I don't want anything to do with you. And I literally had nothing to do with anybody who had had any kind of cancer for about five years. And um, I was contacted in 2006 by a very good friend of mine and her sister uh, lived here in Christchurch where I was living at the time. And she said to me, you know, my, my friend lived in Auckland, which is where we'd met. So she said to me, my sister has been diagnosed with breast cancer. Would you mentor her? Would you mentor her? Because, you know, your attitude's so great. You're, you know, you're, you're six year, five, six years down the track. You're in a really good space. And I said, sure, no problem at all. I knew her sister. I'd met her on four or five occasions. So I said, sure, happy to do that. So I I did and I, you know, chatted with her and she mentioned doing dragon boating and I, I completely dismissed it other than to rem- to remember when I'd been in Hong Kong in, in the late 80s, early 90s that I had seen dragon boating on Victoria Harbour and thinking, oh, yeah. oh, that's a cool, you know, that's a cool sport. That looks great. And I knew that the sport had been in New Zealand as a corporate um, team building sport. So that's that was my knowledge of it. And I thought, oh, what a dumb thing. Why is she doing that? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I kind of just let it go. And, and she did pass away, um, unfortunately. Oh. Her, her, her breast cancer metastasized very quickly to the brain. And um, she passed away. And, and I went to her funeral in August, uh, August September 2006. And um, oh, wow. there, were these, I mean, that was fast. there were these... There were these women there, and they and they had these pink boas on around their, you know, pink feather boas. And I thought, oh, I said to someone, oh, who are they? And they said, oh, they're the breast cancer dragon boaters. And I went, oh, you know. And um, anyway, a, a couple of them spoke at the funeral, and I thought, eh, maybe I'll have a chat with them. So I went up and I said, oh, I'd be really interested in this. I don't know why I said that, but I said, look, I'd be really interested in that. You know, do you have an open day or something like this? Yeah, yeah, when the season starts uh, at the beginning of November, come along, you know. And um, so I did, and uh, I thought, oh, this isn't too bad, you know. (laughs) And um, uh, and I thought I could do this, you know, the season finishes here at the end of March and, and that will be me, you know, sort of four or five months and, and oh, yep, that's okay. And I, I quite liked it and had a lot of fun. The women were great, you know. And um, guess what? We went to the Nationals and we won a gold medal. Very nice. And that was me. I'm so, you know, I'm quite competitive. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> A gold medal, you know, at, at that age and stage in your life when you probably, I mean, I'd, I'd always stayed with sport, but not uber competitively. And, um, you know, to be involved in a sport where you could be sort of competitive, um, you, you know, at that stage in your life. And what I found really interesting was that we were given an incredible amount of respect for being out there and competing. Yeah. 
And I really liked that. Um, there was the odd, you know, the sick old ladies comment, which I wanted to slap a few people. But, um, you know, that, that sort of, uh, uh, it, it wasn't a lot of people that said that. It was more respect. And, and, you know, my conversations with my fellow paddlers was the better we do, the harder we work, the more respect we will gain. And, um, and, and that's, that's really the beginning of it. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> so here we are 14 years later. You got sucked right in, just like I, so at, many of us. <laughs> I absolutely went down that vortex. <laughs> yeah, for that stupid sport. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that really kind of led you to, I mean, you really are at this point so involved, um, mm. you know, for our listeners who aren't fully aware. We just, um, Dr. McKenzie was on the show. And so he had shared about, you know, the creation of dragon boating within the breast cancer community for his research study. And through all of that came about this kind of governing board, which is the International Breast Cancer Paddlers Commission. And you were vice president in um, 2014 to 2018, and now you are president of this mm. governing board. So from somebody who had no interest in considering that sport to now being the president of the governing board is quite the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one because... I, um, as I said, you know, I joined the sport here in Christchurch in New Zealand. And um, at that time, the sport was, um, <clears throat> it, it was, as I said, very much a, a corporate sport. There were a lot of corporate entities involved, but it was starting to progress into a, um, a sport as such, as opposed to something that you did three or four times and then and then didn't do it again till the following year. And in 2007, in the middle of 2007, the people who had been organising the sport here in Christchurch decided that they wanted to retire. And they offered the business and boats for sale to the various teams who were located in this area. And um, some, some of our paddlers from abreast of life went along to the meeting and, you know, listened and came back and they said, oh, they want to do this and they want to do that. And I said, oh, no, 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 that's not how you do it. Because my background is in business uh, and, and, and also very strongly in governance. And um, so I said, no, 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 you want to, they want to do this and they need to set up a, you know, a, 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 nat a regional sports organization and a national sports, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I was running at the mouth and, um, <laughs> and they, they said to me, well, you better go along to the meeting. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not really interested. I'm not really interested. But like that silly sport of dragon boating. Anyway. <laughs> they went to another meeting and they came back and they said more things. And I'm thinking, no, this is going down a rabbit hole. This is the wrong way. And again said, no, 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 no. So you better go to the meeting. So I went along to the meeting and it was, you know, it was all these guys who had been in the sport for like, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And um, I'm thinking, oh, God, I don't know anything. All I know about is structure and governance and charitable organizations and business. I know that side of things. And um, so, of course, you know, running at the mouth again. And, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and someone said, well, you better be involved in the setup and establishment. So, I went, oh, God. And, uh, <laughs> 
And um, next thing I know, I'm the president of the <laughs> of the uh, Auraki Dragon Boat Association, which is the governing body for the South Island of New Zealand. And um, so I was one of the inaugural founders and the founding president. Um, and uh, yeah, so <laughs> see what happens so I, when you talk too much. <laughs> I know exactly. So I I became very very involved from the sports side of things, not so much from the breast cancer side. I always continued to paddle, be a very much a part of our team, um, you know, captain of the team, all of those things. But really interested in the sport, um, regionally, nationally, and internationally. And and in two thousand and eight. Um, we reconstituted the national body and I became um, a board member of that and um, subsequently the chair of that also. Um, and yeah, so I stepped down because we have a 10-year ray or 10-year, um, sorry, leadership um, role, then you have to step down for two years, which I think is awesome because it, you know, brings new blood and rejuvenates and so on. So I did that with the regional body and the national body, um, but also then had become very connected with the International Dragon Boat Federation. Um, and yeah, in 2000 and gosh, uh, might have been 13, I think, I was approached um, to become a board member of the International Breast Cancer Paddlers Commission. And up until that time, I just really had, an, you know, uh, I guess an um, arm's length view of the organisation. I'd been to the regatta in Caloundra in 2007, to the regatta in Peterborough in 2010. Very but, nice. You know, really... Yeah, really lovely, but really sort of sitting back and observing and watching what was happening. And so when I was approached, I, I was really, we have a ter terminology, gobsmacked. I was just completely <laughs> dumbfounded. I thought, why are they talking to me? And someone said, oh, <laughs> we know that you've been awarded the President's Award for Oceania and... Um, we know that you have a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, in New Zealand. And, and so, you know, they I guess people had seen and heard, particularly across the Tasman, which is where the nomination came from. And um, so, yeah, that's how I came to be on the board of IBCPC. And then the following year was um, uh, elected vice president. And, yeah, the rest then is history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's quite the story from, you know, again, somebody who did not really seem to have very much interest in this sport um, mm. to then mm. come out the other side of it as being the president <laughs> of the governing board for the entire <laughs> uh, world. world. Yeah, for breast cancer paddlers. So that's pretty cool. So, um, you know, there are probably many people who are listening. Um, you know, I, I know that Dr. McKenzie and I talked a little bit about the IBCPC um, and, you know, just kind of how that all got started and um, that there are still many teams that are breast cancer teams mm -hmm. that are not necessarily underneath um, or, you know, kind of connected to the IBCPC. But mm -hmm. for those that are connected, you know, tell me a little bit about what the whole role is for the IBCPC. Okay, so IBCPC is the governing body for 
breast cancer paddlers around the globe. And we are an association of the International Dragon Boat Federation, which gives our member teams um, authenticity in terms of being able to compete at at international and world events. Um, For instance, the club cruise this year uh, has 22 entries from breast cancer survivor teams, which is phenomenal from starting in 2014, where I think there were three or four. So um, we have, uh, you know, determined what the definition of a breast cancer paddler is, and that's now enshrined in the um, rules for IDBF. And, And for IBCPC, our mission is to facilitate or to help really uh, promote the establishment of breast cancer dragon boat teams uh, around the globe, Um, you know, in in a participatory fashion. First and foremost, uh, you know, a lot of paddlers move on and they want to be more competitive and that pathway is there, but participation is really what we are, are about and and developing those teams globally. I've just been in the Middle East actually, um, in Egypt and in Israel, developing teams there. I am having conversations with India, you know, in wow. countries that that are really third world, that need us, that need our help, that, you know, we can help them get started because everyone, regardless of whether they're a man or a woman, anyone who is diagnosed with breast cancer has a, has a right to be out there paddling. There's no reason why not. And our mantra is that exercise is medicine. And it is absolutely true, you know, exercise can help so much. It helps on so many levels. Uh, There's an incredible camaraderie that develops out of being involved with a team like this where... I, and I say this to my to my teammates. Under normal circumstances, I might not even like half of you, let alone <laughs> uh, you know, let alone associate with you. But here we are, and we are really good friends. Yeah. And that you know that often surprises me because you know you. So it, it's true. You wouldn't choose to be it with is. with some of these people, <laughs> would you? You know, and you know that yourself. It's and. Um, they always laugh at me when I say it, but I said it's absolutely true. And, you know, we went out, we were training last night because, you know, this is the, the thick end of our, our paddling season. And, I, you know, I said to the, I'm the captain and, and when the coach is away, I coach the crew as well. And I said to the, to the ladies, you know, I'm so grateful for tonight and thank you so much for being willing, you know, for willingly listening, for participating, for working really hard. It's so awesome. And I just said, we are so much better together. And that's really, you know, what this is all about. We are better together. And, you know, I have to say something. When I stood on the stage in Florence um, to give my speech at the opening ceremony, I, you know, I was very emotional and um, I looked out at that sea of faces and the the colour was like a field of blossoms. It was the most beautiful thing. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm here to look after these 
you know, there were about 5,000 people there, but globally we have probably up to 10,000 members. You know, it's like, wow, oh, my goodness, and I'm from this little country down at the bottom <laughs> of the world. <laughs> How did this happen? And this is running through my mind while I'm trying to maintain my, um, you know, my decorum and, and not lose it, you know. <laughs> it's it's just mind-boggling. It's absolutely mind-boggling, and, and I am incredibly grateful I and humbled incredibly humbled i i stagger to believe it at times actually yeah well i would say that they you know picked a great candidate to be the representative um you know and for me and my team we are very excited (laughs) to be coming to new zealand in 2022 for the next international breast cancer peddlers commission Mm -hmm. uh, participatory event so we are just, I mean, Florence was <laughs> the first time that my team had ever mm-hmm. traveled internationally. I had been at Sarasota in 2014, mm-hmm. but 2018 was the first time for my team. And it was really big. And for many of them, mm-hmm. it was just something that they never even imagined. Um, mm-hmm. And so now that we are, you know, <laughs> kind of one in, we are all in. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so, um, you know, it's really incredible because each festival has been so different and has um, opened up so many different journeys for people, adventures for people. And I, I just think you cannot underestimate what those festivals are. You know, they're, they're <laughs> I always laugh because they're participatory, but oh my goodness. Goodness. Oh, it's so competitive. <laughs> it and is very how, competitive. <laughs> how often did you hear, oh my God, oh, we were so, oh, and we beat so and so, and you're like, oh, we're really okay. It's participatory. That's good. You know, <laughs> but you just, you just go with that because that's what's important. But you know, Melissa, I, the other thing that really, that I'm really, really cognizant of is the fact that for many, many of these women and the four men who were in um, Florence, it could be their last adventure. Absolutely. And it's so important to make it really, really special and, yes. you know, to, to, to embrace everybody. It doesn't matter. And, you know, that's what I've been doing. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I chaired the bid for New Zealand and um, because I've always thought this is such an incredible destination and it's a long way, but it was a long way for us to go to Florence. Everywhere's a long way. Absolutely. And, but um, worth it. You know, and, and I truly, and I know that this is a bucket list destination for many people. Yes. Um, and and I, I just, and we will do it in a very Kiwi way. It won't be, <laughs> it won't be supersonic. You know, we're, we're a very laid back, friendly, welcoming people. And, and it will be different to Florence and it will be different to Sarasota. Um, and I think it will be probably more aligned with Peterborough. Uh, and it will just be, let's make the most of this and, and come and just have a fabulous time and um, dance and sing and laugh and cry and all of yeah. those things. Yeah. Just uh, And paddle hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't forget that part. And I, I yeah. <laughs> really love um, that you said... Um, I'm, and I'm going to try not to get emotional here, but it's, um, <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, you know, for, for many of the, the people that come to the festivals, it truly 
could be their last because, Mm -hmm. you know, the four years that are in between that, I mean, things change so fast for so many people. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have the children right now because we had one paddler um, who she really just wanted to go to Italy and she did. And, um, you know, we got her in the boat and and she paddled on the Mm. first day. And then the second day she wasn't feeling well enough to paddle. (laughs) And, um, you know, it was, Italy was in July and then November that year she had passed away. So, you know, I, when you, when you say those words, it just, speaks to me because it is the Mm -hmm. truth. And, you know, I love that you guys are taking that into consideration and recognizing that, you know, there are a lot of women and men who are part of the sport who are, you know, battling metastatic breast cancer. And, Mm -hmm. you know, genuinely, Mm -hmm. it could be the last time that they have that opportunity to participate in something so amazing and touching and um, emotional and all of those other things that I don't have right now to describe it. Um, yeah, you know, in, in that kind of event. So, you know, I thank you for saying that because I think that's important. Um, and it is competitive. My, my, um, my first team, which is pink steel out of Pittsburgh, we, you know, brag a lot about taking uh, <laughs> second place in the world and first place in the United States in Sarasota. So it is competitive, but I do genuinely love that, you know, it is really a place for everybody to come and have a seat in the boat. Look, um, Melissa, I, I am, uh, you know, totally with you and we can all share exactly that same story. And we, we, you know, my own team, um, before we left three of our, uh, young ones in their forties were all diagnosed metastatic. Um, and one of our 60, 65 year olds, um, also diagnosed metastatic and of those four, had all been working hard and fundraising and wanting to be in in uh, Florence. Only one went, oh. and um, uh, Carlene passed away in April before we went. Um, and Lou, who came with us, had just passed away in January. Um, uh, you know, Jill is now she she's yeah. So we will be three in two years, and. Yeah. Um, in my spare time, if I ever have any, um, <laughs> I'm I'm a marriage celebrant also. When and um, Carleen asked me if I would conduct her funeral, and I was dumbfounded. And she said to me, and and this was two days before she slipped into a coma. She said to me, "I've never seen you at a loss for words. Come on, you're doing this." And I went, you know, like I was just choking and um and and I said and I knew I had to I knew I had to for her because the team had become her life you know after her family of course and um I knew I had to do that and wow what an what an honor that was what an honor and you know to but what I found was I had to separate myself from my team because otherwise I would have just been a a bawling mess 
but to, to, you know, and I just said to the girls, I'm not ignoring you. It's not that I don't like you or don't want to be with you. I just need to contain myself and wrap myself in a bubble here um, to be able to do this. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then when, and before Lou passed, she, um, and, and you may have seen the post that we put up on Facebook because she had a blog that everyone around the world followed and um, they were all asking about her. So put up a lovely little piece of video footage and Lou asked me the same thing and I went, oh God, you know, no. <laughs> but you know how important it is, exactly what I'm saying about the festival. It's exactly the same importance about knowing that you, you you have, you know, you're walking in the shoes of, of someone at a much higher power and you absolutely have to do it. It's it's what it's about. And I guess that's my realisation. Um, and I remember walking on the beach in Brazil where we were at an outreach clinic and um, Dr Don was walking beside me and I said to him, oh, my goodness, I feel like a rock star. He said, Mary, you are. He said, Mary, you are a rock star. And I went, oh. And then I said, I feel like we're doing God's work. He said, Mary, we are. And I thought, oh, my goodness. This is, you know, this is what it's about. That was back in October 2016. And um, I just yeah, that's what it's about. And, and you know, it's so humbling, isn't it, to, to be on this journey, to be, uh, well, an adventure. I don't like the word journey. It makes like sound like there's a destination. There isn't. It's an adventure. Yeah. And we're, we're yeah. traveling it with really good mates. And that's so important, so special. Yeah, well, and I, I would agree. You know, I think that it is really important to have people like you um, who are leading the charge in whatever fashion, in whatever way, <laughs> that is impacting the lives of so many people. Um, you know, and I know that forever, the team that went to Italy, they will forever be changed um, through that mm. experience. And so many have said that to me. Um, you know, so thank you so much for you know, doing the work that you're doing. I'm sure that it's not an easy task, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but it is, it is great work and it's important. Um, so, you know, from, from one peddler to another, um, <laughs> from a coach to a captain, <laughs> um, and just, you know, a breast cancer survivor to breast cancer survivor. Thank you so much genuinely for all of the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Melissa. And you said the words that I always say, I'm just a paddler. I'm just a paddler. And that to me is what I'll always be. And and people often say to me, oh, you paddle. And I went, yes. <laughs> you know, <as laughs> Do that too. Surprise. <laughs> Yes, that's that's the that's the that's the biggest pleasure, being out there paddling, being just a paddler. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> I want to thank you so much. Um, we have spent so much time together. Um, this may genuinely be my longest episode, um, <laughs> but I loved it. Um, and again, I told you at the beginning, I just may let you continue talking because I love to hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you again for spending your morning with us and uh, for sharing your story and, you know, just sharing everything um, about dragon boating and all of the work that you're doing. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. And I just want to pass my, um, my love and uh, blessings to all of your listeners. And, um, you know, thanks and keep paddling. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. 
Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.